0: You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. This morning, I am going to preach on doctrine, specifically the doctrine of Scripture, and I'll explain that more. For instance, what is doctrine? Why is it important? And what do we do with it? Before I do that, let me open us in prayer. Father, I thank you, even as Pastor Rick was saying, for this body of believers, for this place to meet, for this place to proclaim your name, and that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. Fill us with your spirit, give us wisdom, and I ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. So I think the word doctrine is often misunderstood and maybe a little confusing or mysterious, like some theological term that only pastors or theologians use, not the case at all. Let me give you the definition of doctrine. Doctrine is a God-given truth. Doctrine is a God-given truth. And there's many doctrines in the Bible, many, many doctrines. You have the doctrine of holiness, doctrine of God's sovereignty, of justification, of creation, the doctrine of salvation, those are all there. Today, though, I want to take a broader look. I want to look at the doctrine of Scripture, Scripture as a whole, and the impact it has on our lives. Now, I'm not really suggesting that we become experts on every doctrine in the Bible. I don't know if that's possible. But what I am saying is that Scripture as a whole, through the doctrine, through the God-given truth of the Word of God, It tells us and shows us how to think and how to act. I think, whether we admit it or not, we're all thinkers. We're all thinkers. And even when we're asleep, we're thinking. It's called dreaming. It's impossible to not think. Try it. (laughs) You, You can't do it. We're all thinking. So what's influencing that? I want to start with this, and this is absolutely true, that thoughts always precede and determine our activity. Thoughts always precede and determine our activity. Simply stated, what you think is how you act. What you think is how you act. So how does this relate to doctrine? I know you're wondering, how does this relate to doctrine? Well, I'll tell you what. The same God that hardwired you to be a thinker is the same God that inspired the writers of the Old and New Testament with his truth so we would have them. He is basically showing us how to think through his truths. Our loving creator gave us these doctrines honestly so we would have a sense or a way to make sense out of this life and how to enjoy it to the fullest. In no uncertain terms. You want to enjoy life? Do it God's way. Scripture, I'm going to say this unequivocally, Scripture is the greatest physical gift that we have. This right here is the greatest physical gift that we have. It's our creator's personal communication to all of us. We, through the Scripture, know how to show him and bring him glory. And the byproduct of that is we experience joy. God is glorified and we are filled with joy through scripture. We talked about this just really quick uh, yesterday in in the Saturday Bible study. I asked the group, do you ever approach when you get in the Bible, do you ever approach it like you're looking for hidden treasure? I mean, honestly, you will find things in the Bible. I mean, say some uh, billionaire took an acre of dirt and it's all turned up dirt. And he took you aside and said, guess what? I have buried two feet under the ground in this acre, a briefcase with 500 million, go look for it. Man, you'd be diligent, you would be looking, looking. And guess what, we have as long as we need to look for this, for this treasure, the treasure is here. And I, I can say this, the doctrines in this book are more valuable than any monetary riches will ever have. We need to approach the word of God saying, oh my gosh, The Holy Spirit is speaking to me. My life will be changed with that. Let me set this foundation. The the doctrines of Scripture are not so much about ideology, although that does exist, but they're more or less a living, divine tool for salvation and especially transformation. That's why they're here. Salvation and transformation. In fact, and this is rather handy The word doctrine, it's actually shorthand for a greater and more extensive work of God. It's actually shorthand. Here's an example. I can say, for instance, uh, the doctrine of justification. In that one statement or one doctrine is contained a vast amount of information describing the way God put us in a right relationship with him which would take a long time to describe, but always say the doctrine of justification. So it's very, very handy. Um, But again, I don't think, in fact, I, I, I know that God did not put his truth or doctrine in the Bible as an end in itself. So academically, we can sound smart and repeat these doctrines. It's not that at all. As I said earlier, it is a tool, doctrine, the truth of God is a tool for transformation. I think one of the most interesting places to see this, and if you have a Bible, go to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, and I'll read it. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, but I'm going to read verses 10 through 13, and you'll see what I mean. In Isaiah 55, chapter 55, verses 10 through 13, the prophet Isaiah is describing the truths of God's word as being like rain or snow that falls on and waters the earth. And let's look at the result. I'm going to read it, but, but look for the result of this. Verse 10. And be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of a thorn bush, will grow a pine tree. And instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown. For an everlasting sign, which you will not be destroyed. Um what was the result of God's word going out? It says that instead of a thorn bush, there will be a pine. It'll grow. Instead of a briar, a myrtle will grow. This has got to be one of the strangest word pictures ever in the word of God. But if you, let's just say you had a thorn bush in your backyard, you'd never tell someone, hey, you know what? If it keeps raining, that thorn bush is going to turn into a pine tree. You'd never say that because they'd think you're crazy and they'd be right. However, look what the prophet's doing here. The prophet Isaiah is pointing to this radical transformation that takes place within us when we are soaked in God's truth, which is his doctrine. This happens. Changes our perspective. It changes the way we think. It creates a new being. It absolutely creates a new being. And I'm not talking, like, listen to this, I'm not talking about a better rendition of ourselves. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we become spiritually different. We become different creatures. And some of you have heard me say this, anytime there is a truth, a doctrinal truth in the Old Testament, you will find it in the New Testament as well. So the corollary for this is Romans 12.2 you probably know, well, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What transforms us? Doctrine. It is not just information. It is transformation, and that's what we're after. And I believe God's word, this is a beautiful gift from a God of amazing grace. He knows exactly what we need. These doctrines, by the way, are not burdensome. They're actually freeing. They'll free you up. They're not meant to weigh you down. They're life-giving. They're freeing. These doctrines have the potential, and I think will, make you wiser than naturally you had the potential to be. They will make you wise. God's word promises it. It'll turn a complaining heart into a worshipful heart. However, God does not just want your mind. He wants your heart. In fact, he wants all of you. It's not just an intellectual thing. Through doctrine, through God's word, he wants to create this fertile soil, if you will, in our heart that will yield this fruit of the spirit or transformation. Now, let's go to the New Testament. If you have your Bibles, go to uh, 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, again, you probably all memorized this, but I think no better passage describes pragmatically how this works. This shows us step by step, how does doctrine, how does the Word of God actually change our lives? 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Did you catch that? There were four steps here. There's teaching, rebuking, or reproof. There is correction and training. Let me just break that down a little bit. What's teaching? Teaching, very simply, is the standard of God that we're to live up to. That's what teaching is. This is the standard that we compare everything in life to. How we feel, our desires, what our fleshly desires are, what our intellectual desires are. See, the truth is really something that everyone seeks. The believer and the non-believer. We all want to have some sort of a standard that we compare what our thoughts or act, our actions are. We all want to be right. We all want to be acting and speaking in the truth. Um, I, I really think, and it sounds corny, but I really think everyone carries a Bible around with them, believer, non-believer, either one of their own making or the Bible that was given to us by the creator of truth himself. But we all carry a Bible with us. Second, rebuking or reproof. Reproof is the comparison to the standard. Teaching showed us a standard. The reproof is the process that we use to compare ourselves to this standard, and I guarantee you one thing. When you see that, you will see how far you have fallen short. When you actually look at it, you will see that. And see, the truth of doctrine was meant to function as a mirror for us. We stand in the light of this truth, and it shows us who we actually are. And I'll tell you what, when we do this, I believe, immediately we will be confronted with our sin and just how far we have fallen from perfection. That's just the way it is, but that's a good thing. That is a good thing. In that, doctrine should not only give us a correct knowledge of God, but a very humbling knowledge of self. A very humbling knowledge of self. Then we have correction. What is correction? Correction is closing the gap between where I am and where God wants me to be. Closing the gap between where I am and where God wants me to be. This process puts us closer to the standard that was revealed to us. And throughout our lives, I think it's so healthy that, that we keep checking this. We keep looking back. We keep looking at, okay, what is this standard? It's, it's a constant process. And through the Holy Spirit, we are progressively sanctified. So what does that mean? Progressive sanctification. That's God's wonderful redeeming work between the time when we're saved and the time of our homecoming, when we go to heaven. Every day, day by day, progressively, we are sanctified. And it's this wonderful process of comparison correction, comparison correction through God's word empowered by the Holy Spirit empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then we have training, don't we? The last step, training. Training is simply faithfully putting into practice day in and day out this standard that God has shown us. And through this training, it's wonderful because we're changed and we produce this fruit of the Spirit, which is our goal. And actually, that's what this is all about. But... And I think you'll agree with me, if we are honest with ourselves, this is not always the way we respond to God's word, is it? I I wish I could say it was, but it isn't always the way I respond to God's word. In fact, if you're anything like me, I think that you will see places in your Christian walk where there's inconsistency between the truth you declare and how you act. There's inconsistency there. Um, it said, and I believe it's true that, that, uh, that truth not lived is truth, not believed truth, not lived is truth, not believed. And that's, and I'll tell you why that is. It's the fact faith is not merely an intellectual exercise, not at all. It's a commitment of the heart that alters how we live. And this is why we have to soak in the life changing rain and word of God, and cry out to be renewed by the Spirit daily, daily. Uh, and, And again, I'll just speak from my own experience. It can become very easy to become comfortable, to get used to this gap that exists between what we say we believe and what we do. We become comfortable with it. And I I think it's helpful. Let me give you a couple examples from Scripture where it actually jumps off the page. There's two examples. And again, you are all very, very familiar with these examples. But the first one is Jonah, who God called to bring this warning of judgment to this evil city of Nineveh. So for Jonah, the mere thought of bringing this message to these barbarian, evil people was repulsive, so much so that he took off in the opposite direction in a boat. So God sends this terrifying storm onto the sea where this boat was, and it's threatening to sink this ship. Well, those men on board uh, the boat start casting lots to see who has inflicted this storm on us. Who's to blame for this? Well, the lot fell on Jonah And so they asked Jonah, hey, where are you from? Jonah's answer should get your attention. Watch this. Here's what he says He says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. Well, the first part is true. He's certainly a Hebrew, isn't he? But it's the second part that I question I fear the Lord, the God of heaven? There appears to be no fear in this man at all of the Lord. He had no problem looking God in the face and saying, I'm not going to do what you asked me to do. He had no problem with taking his own life in his hands, jumping on a boat, and heading off in the other direction. You see, there's this huge gap between Jonah's confession of faith and Jonah's actions. Huge gap. The second incident you'll find in Galatians 2. And this is where Peter, Peter has recognized the truth of the gospel. And he's communicating it to the Gentiles in this way. He's telling the Gentiles, listen, through Jesus Christ, there is a new life. You no longer have to adhere to these strict dietary laws and the Old Testament way of living. No, there's freedom in Christ Well, that's all well and good until some real high-ranking Jews come into town. What does Peter do? He separates himself from the Gentiles immediately, starts hanging with these very powerful Jews, starts eating kosher food like a Jew again. And so Paul is sitting looking at all this, does not set well. Not a bit. Paul calls him out not just privately in front of the church. This is dramatic, and this is big. If you look at the context of this, this is a big deal, man. Why? Because Paul saw that the character and purity of the gospel was at stake. Had they went along with that? Well, what is important? No, Paul said no. This is our confession of faith. We will act in accordance with our confession of faith. See, the problem here, for for Peter at least, it wasn't theological, it was moral. There was a moral problem here. See, Peter didn't have this theological divine revelation, oh no, I should go back to just eating kosher. Those dietary laws are actually the way. That wasn't the deal, not even a little bit. It was fear of man that was more powerful in Peter's heart than what God had showed him was right. No, No two ways about it. Peter was not acting in a way that was in accordance with his faith. And I'll say this, at least for me, this this is a problem every day of my life, and maybe for you too, acting in accordance with our faith. And God is so gracious. I believe he includes these two incidents in Scripture as a very gracious object lesson for us. We're not just to blow over them. They're there for us. I really believe if we can close the gap a little bit every day between our confession of faith and our action, it gives the devil a lot less room to mess with us. It just does. However, if we consider this, let's let's consider for a second that Scripture is a gift of grace that God has given us. Something else comes to my mind pretty immediately, You see, one of the devastating results of sin entering humanity is that, believe it or not, sin reduces us all to fools in one way or another. Not in the same way, but sin reduces us to fools. A fool looks at truth and sees falsehood. A fool ignores God and puts himself in the place of God. But you know what's deadly about this? What's deadly? A fool doesn't know he's a fool unless he's given eyes to see his foolishness. He's got no way to know. See, but God looked at humanity with compassion and not only sent his son to rescue us fools, he also gave us this gift of his word. And it is wonderful. And because of that, a fool can recognize his foolishness and have a tool by which he can become wise. And I'm thinking, hey, what if, what if you just recognize you're a fool, but there's nothing you can do about it? I guess ignorance is bliss, man. Stay a fool. But the word of God gives you the tool to become wise. And that's what we have right here. Simply said, scripture, if we did not have scripture, God's word, we would not know right from wrong. We would not know right from wrong. Without scripture, I think we'd be confused about who we are and the purpose of our lives. Without scripture, honestly, and this is just putting the cookies on the bottom shelf, we would not know how to handle success, power, money, sex, any kind of relationship, how to be a dad, how to be a mother, how to be a son, how to be a good friend. Scripture gives us all of this, all of this. And without God's word, we would have no idea about our need for rescue, for reconciliation, for restoration. There'd be no no way to tell. And here's the deal. We cannot boast, not a person within earshot of me, and especially myself, we cannot boast that we have this wisdom innately, or we came up with any of this wisdom. No, we didn't. It's all from the Lord written in the pages of scripture. Now, listen, I, I'm going to head for home now. I, we're, we're getting a little windy here, and uh, I don't want this thing to take off on me, but uh, I'm, I'm going to head for home, but if I could have your attention for five more minutes here is the crux of what I'm talking about. I'm gonna to go to 1 Corinthians chapter one. I will read verse 18 through 31. 1 Corinthians one, verses 18 through 31. This is so beautiful. This is so on point. This is the apostle Paul speaking about the foolishness of sin, but also about the rescuing wisdom from God's word that we desperately need. Listen to this. I love this. I had to get a little drink of water before I start this. This is good. Listen to this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. Think of what you were when, uh, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. There it is right there, succinctly. See, Paul's talking about Scripture with its core message, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is all wrapped up right there. The truth is, and I'll be done in one second, but here's the truth. Maybe you want to hear this, maybe you don't. You can be highly trained, you can still be a fool. You can be well-educated, a gifted communicator, and still be a fool. You can be successful and prominent and still be a fool. But here's the good, one, the good news. No one is hopelessly trapped in their foolishness because God, this great God, who's the source of all wisdom, he's a tender, loving, and forgiving God who wants to rescue us through the grace of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only did God give us the gift of his word, but he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit actually guides us Teaches us, illuminates the word, and allows us to understand it. It's through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we can understand this book. And pragmatically, by giving us this great gift of the Holy Spirit, God is giving Himself to us to open the wisdom of this book. He's given Himself to us. See, God patiently sits with us as we open his book and he teaches us. See, God is not only the author of the word. He's the primary teacher as well. It is a wonderful thing. I'll close with this. When you get the word of God, you also get the God of the word. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.